welcome to the January 2008. Wow, it's 2008. Wow. 2008. <laughs> it's 2008. I'm Sean Nolan, and this is Matt Bowling. Hey, Sean, how are you? I'm doing fine. How are you? Doing all right. Good. And we are the Ordinary Means podcast, coming to you today uh, from southwestern Pennsylvania. At least this month. At least this month. Although uh, it's, we're looking to a new pastorate uh, for Mr. Bowling here, and yep. so uh, we'll be bringing you more details on that in the future. A little later in the podcast, we're going to talk about that and and see how that applies to an ordinary means ministry. Uh, how does the changing of a pastorate, uh, how does that affect your current church? How does it affect the church you're going to? Uh, those are some of the things we'll talk about later, but we want to start out a little bit more broadly this month in talking about what is an ordinary means of grace ministry. Now, over the couple of years we've been doing this podcast, we've talked about a lot of things, a lot of theological issues, and today we want to get uh, real down and dirty, real practical, and just come to you and say, what does this look like? What does it look like to be an ordinary means of grace pastor? Now, just in saying that, I, I've got to start out with this caveat. Uh, I personally am not one for movements. Right. Uh, Any time that you say, okay, well, I'm part of the you know the purpose-driven movement or the ordinary means movement or the uh, what's there's there's a there's a new one and I and I. I Andy Webb is a, is a dear friend, uh, but the old school Presbyterian church, planting old school Presbyterian churches. You know, I think uh, I, I don't want to put down Andy, but I think what we want to do is is we want to create biblical churches. I think Andy would be in complete agreement with Absolutely. me on this one. Absolutely, and. Uh, and the same thing with purpose-driven churches on the complete opposite end of the spectrum there. We want to create biblical churches uh, where the dictate for what we do as a church comes from Scripture. It doesn't come from the ideas of man. It doesn't come from uh, marketing or the business world. Uh, it doesn't come from the latest fads on the Christian bookstore shelves. But it comes from the truth of God's word. God, who is unchanging, has said, these are the ways my church is to function. God has created the church in a specific way. And if we start going off onto all sorts of tangents and, and trusting in all sorts of means other than his ordinary means of grace, that is the way God normally works, right, right. then we're getting into, into really dangerous waters. Absolutely. And so I think what we can say is is all of these movements may have truth in them, but we don't want to be a part of a fad. We want to be a part of the unchanging truth of God. Uh, now, I know there's a huge cult surrounding our podcast. Yeah, enormous. It's, it's, it's huge. I think last I checked, I think there are four people. Uh, and that includes you and I. <laughs> yep. So, and what is that? You and I and our wives. Right. And um, so, I just want to say to all of the, all of the members of this cult that uh, be sure and, and keep your um, what you're studying broad, and don't just listen to our podcast because this, we are fallible and and we'll mislead right. you just as much as anybody else. And it, it, so, there's there's two cautions that go with what Sean just said. The first caution is. We don't want 
pastors to be experts in anything except the Bible. That's what we want their expertise in. That's part of what it means to be an ordinary means of grace ministry. Just like in worship, we read the Bible, we preach the Bible, we pray the Bible, we sing the Bible, because that's what we're about. We're about the Bible, we're about God and how He's revealed Himself in His Word. On the other hand, we also want to be careful to not, we want to be cautious and careful, but not dismissive of anything that would push us back to the Word. Ways in which we've become uh, enculturated because of our denominational background or our uh, personal history background, that, that we're insulated against a particular part of God's Word. And if, and if somebody, uh, a newer person, would come along and say, here's something that you ought to think about that you haven't done, um, but this is equally biblical – uh, we certainly should consider it. I'll give you one example just from Sean and I's denomination. Uh, our denomination, the PCA, is 35 years young. And in the beginning of the Presbyterian Church in America, our denomination, it would have been extraordinarily difficult to have a church that had uh, a large degree of what we would call mercy ministry. Because our denomination was formed out of a denomination that had sort of sold out to the social gospel, and that what the that what the activity of the church was was social work in the community. And so, if an early church in the PCA uh, had come along and said, uh, "We're we, we want to be all about ministry in the community," it would have been very easy for them to have gotten labeled, "Oh, you're liberal." Uh, now that we're 35 years into this, and people know, and we have a confidence in ourselves that we're going to stand on the scriptures, that we're we're not giving up on the word. We believe the gospel is God's means for um, for converting hearts by the by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, we now have the ability, and we've seen this in the last several years, especially among the younger groups, the younger ministers in the PCA, a return to the kind of form of ministry that Jesus had, where he was powerful in deed and in word. And um, that's a, a helpful corrective, uh, because both of those were important in Jesus' ministry. Both of those were important in the early church. Both of those have been important in the entire history of the Christian church. Um and so that's a good corrective to people that are saying, are you really involved with the community that the church is in, or are you just a place that people come to to hear a preacher preach? And so that's an example of something where there are people out there now saying, uh, no, this is biblical, and you should listen to that. So this is our, our concern about an ordinary means of grace ministry is not that we continue to consider what might be biblical and that somebody who's more modern might come along and tell us, hey, did you think about the fact that this is a part of God's teaching? Um, but what's the, what is at the core of the ministry of the church is the ordinary means of grace. And that that's how we expect God to see people come into the kingdom, to, for God to use to see people come into the kingdom and to grow in their discipleship uh, to Christ. That's the kind of thing we're trying to say when we say an ordinary means of grace ministry. I think another point we need to make, too, is that we fully believe in what is called incarnational ministry. Mm-hmm. And we don't... Uh, in in advocating an ordinary means of grace ministry, we're not advocating something that doesn't take into account the context right. and the culture. Right. The difference that it makes is it's not the culture which reigns supreme in the ministry. 
The culture doesn't dictate the ministry. The Bible dictates the ministry, but that may look different in different cultures. So a an urban church is not necessarily going to look identical to a little country church, but at the same time there's going to be so much identity between the two that, that those uh, two ministers, those two churches will be in full communion together. Right. Um, so it's it's a it's a difficult thing to see in practice because so often uh, we see churches or we hear about churches that the the urban church or the mega church tends to in our in our Christian bubble in America look they the two tend to look completely different that the mega church became a mega church because it followed uh, the marketing uh, marketing. Um, directives, or you know, the the Willow Creek model, or something like that, which is interesting. Matt, did you see this article on um, Willow Creek repenting? Sort of, sort of repenting. Yes, they, yes. they were upset I thought about for a minute the. Res- you said you, you sort of saw the article. You no, didn't no, no, see no. The article. no they, they, it, it was sort of a repenting in the sense that they recognized that they weren't producing the right, they weren't producing the product they were hoping for. But it, it, it was a sort of repenting because I don't think that that the intention, at least as I've read it so far, and I could be wrong, but the intention so far that I've seen it is not that they intend to go back to something that would be um, something we that, that would be an ordinary means orientation. It seems that they're probably looking for some other way to produce the product uh, that they want to. And unfortunately, some of that looks like it might be some of what we critiqued oh, some months ago uh, in this contemplative mysticism kind of thing, and that they're hoping that's going to produce true disciples of Christ. Um, now, now, the issue in the article that I read, the issue was that they did this, I don't know, five-year research survey into the ministries of the church, and what they found was that all of the programs that they had devised, or despite all of the programs that they had devised, spiritual growth was not happening, people were not spending more time in the reading of their Bibles, and really what people wanted at the end of it all was not programs that that, that melt, that met their felt needs. They wanted instruction in how to study the Bible. They wanted more personal interaction with fellow believers and growth in that regard, I guess, iron sharpening iron. And I remember in the article, one of the last lines, I think I read the Christianity Today article online, mm-hmm. and one of the last lines in that was a quote from one of the men on the ministry there, and he was asked, what are you going to do now? Now that you've recognized that what you've tried thus far hasn't worked, what are you going to do? And his answer, and, and this was frankly disturbing. Right. His answer was, well, we're going to get out a fresh sheet of paper and try again. Which, of course, is opposed to everything that this podcast has been about. <laughs> because it's we, we don't want you to go to a blank sheet of paper. Because God hasn't given us a blank sheet of paper. No. He's given us a word, and he's told us how he wants to go about this. And, and the important thing here is that we have a recognition, Sean and I do, standing in the Reformed tradition, uh, that we can't get this done. That, that, that ministry isn't something that humans do to humans. 
and that somehow we can create growth or faith or discipleship in somebody else by the way we go about it. That's an that's a uh, and I've made it really generic, but that's an opinion of a man named Charles Finney. Who thought that he was a, a late second great awakening um, preacher who believed that if we did just the right things, we would have the right effect. And most of uh, that thinking out of Willow Creek, even some of the purpose driven stuff, um, that's its worldview, its structure. If we did the right things, we would have the right effect. And where we stand in terms of the ordinary means, ordinary means perspective is uh, God is the one who has to work. He's given us certain things where he said he will work. He'll attend to certain things with his spirit in transforming power if we'll simply take up and use those things, the word, sacraments, and prayer. But if we choose to take up other things, as Willow Creek has chosen to do over the years, we shouldn't be surprised that this is the fruit of their ministry. It's what we, in fact, we should expect because God hasn't been attending what they've been doing because he hasn't been using, they haven't been using his means to get it done. I'm thinking, too, about our own hearts. And it's so easy to fall into, I, Calvin said, our hearts are idle factories. And that being the case, it just seems to me that the, the heart of a minister will easily tend towards other means besides God's means when uh, and, and, and really set up idols. Yes. Trusting, and an idol is any time you're trusting in something other than God for an effect that God, that the Bible tells us only God can produce. Right. And really what we want to see in an ordinary means ministry is is a trust in God, a very deep-seated trust in God. Now that doesn't mean you don't have... It doesn't mean that all you do is the word sacraments and prayer. Yes. Because th- that there's going to be lots of ministries, but they're going to be arms and legs and, and tendrils, if you will. I think of an octopus, if the, the ordinary means is the, that big blob in the middle. Right. You, there's going to be tendrils going out into all ends of the church. Uh, I was just um, recently talking with a, uh, a member of our congregation who was involved in a ministry in another church, and the reason was because that, that other church had a, a ministry for her dog, and, it, you know, at first this sounds kind of humorous, but what was it? No, it was a ministry to train her dog. Her dog went through classes to learn how to be in a nursing home. Hmm. So she can now minister in nursing homes to older folks with, with her dog. Right, right. What a, what a wonderful ministry. Now, is that an ordinary means of grace ministry? Well, certainly, if she's going into the nursing home and speaking the truth in love... Right. And the dog is simply a means to bringing her into that context uh, to show mercy, to show love. What a wonderful ministry. So Certainly. I don't have any problem with a church ministry that involves dogs. Right. And it can be an extension of the ordinary means. But we've always got to come back. Is, is this a tendril that's connected to the blob? 
Right, right. Or, or is this a, a tendril that's off flopping by itself? Because if it is, then ultimately that tendril is going to stop flopping and lie there dead and have no effect. Absolutely. It's, it's got to be connected to the source. Well, and I think that, they, that the, the way we have to conceive of things is, is a particular activity of the church, is its design to put people uh, in contact with the truth of God's word? And there's a lot of different ways that that can happen. There's a lot of different ways that can come about. But that's, the, that's where God works. That's where he gets his business done. Uh, is when people are put in contact with the Word. Uh, that's what we're saying, is that not that we wouldn't have church retreats necessarily, but that the reason for the church retreat is not that we produce such an emotional high for people that we think that that is what is going to produce uh, lasting change in their lives. It's that at the retreat, we especially get them away from certain things so that we can get them alone and with other men or women or families to be under the word where God can do his work through the word. Uh, and so the ordinary means ministry is not necessarily that there are certain activities that we do do or certain activities that we don't do. It's the reason behind the activities and it's what's at the core of them. What are we hoping will happen? Not that just plain fellowship is wrong or anything like that, but what's our hope um, there's a quote out there by uh, by Rick Warren in the Purpose Driven Church, where he says that if there was one thing that he would have done different, um, one thing that he think thinks could have had a greater effect was that if he was more in tuned to the power of music and its and its ability to draw people. And, and I guess that's the kind of thing um, that seems to me very opposed to an ordinary means sort of ministry. Uh, the Power in drawing people lies with God. Uh, and the truthfulness of his word and the transformation of people's lives, not the commonality of the church's music to whatever is popular in the culture. Uh, and that would be the kind of difference that we're talking about. Um, not that we wouldn't have music in church or even music that people could understand. Um, or even but, music that invokes the emotions. Absolutely. Absolutely. If Amazing Grace doesn't evoke emotions, there's a real problem here. Amen. Um, Sean and I were just looking at it. He was just out sharing with me a song that they've started singing in their congregation. That's wonderful, and certainly it evokes emotions. Um, but I, I think that the point is... In case you're where interested, the song is uh, This Fathomless Love. Uh, great. We were doing it over Christmas time. Uh, it's available. Uh, Sovereign Grace uh, music puts that, uh, puts that tune out. Um, but I, where's our hope? That's that's really the heart of ordinary means ministry. It's where our hope is uh, for God to work, and the hope is in the Word. Absolutely, because you know Romans one sixteen, uh, the the gospel is the power of salvation. Right. Now I find it interesting now because we're talking about what does an ordinary means ministry look like in Ephesians chapter four. Uh, we read this, and this is God describing the church. And we read that he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. And then the next verse answers the why did God give all of these offices. Uh, the answer is, uh, the why is for the equipping of the saints, 
for the work of service. Two things there. The saints being equipped so that the saints can do the work of service. And what is the ultimate goal to the building up of the body of Christ? How long will this take? Verse 13 answers that. Until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now I ask you, where would you find that kind of knowledge and maturity and unity except in the very word of Christ, which is the Scriptures? Uh, Then in verse 14, Paul goes on to say this. He says, as a result... We are no longer to be children. He's just talked about being mature. We're not to be children tossed here and there by every by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness in deceitful scheming. Okay, this sort of sets us up against anything that is not in accord with the Word of God. Anything not in accord with the Word of God would be Uh, Every wind of doctrine, trickery of men, craftiness, deceitful scheming. But the alternative comes in verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. And really what we get from that is, is a term that's becoming more and more popular. In fact, Sinclair Ferguson has a new book. What's the title? Uh, I'm forgetting. He has a new book, it's Christ... Oh, In Christ Alone. In Christ Alone, okay? And the this brings us back to a, a phrase that we're hearing a lot now, Christ-centered ministry, right. or gospel-centered ministry. Again, not a fad, but a Lord reminder to, to come back to the Bible, to come back to Jesus at the center of it all. Um, even knowing the Father is not enough. Because we cannot know the Father except through the Son who has revealed Him. Absolutely. And I think out there, there there are even ministries, churches in the Reformed tradition, that are very much focused on the the Father. I'm I'm trying to be very careful here because I don't want to sound like I'm dividing the Trinity at all. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think it's these churches that may be doing that by so focusing on the Father in the way that a... Pentecostal church might focus on the spirit to uh, to too much of an extreme. Right. Churches that so focus on the Father that they forget we cannot know the Father except through Jesus. We can only come to the Father through Jesus. So any ministry that is going to glorify the Father must have Christ at the center. Absolutely. That's the center of incarnational ministry. That's the center of an ordinary means ministry. John calls him uh, the word, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's you know what is what is the the ordinary means, but the preaching of the word, the praying of the word, the administering of the sacraments, which are illustrations of the gospel of the gospel, the yeah. word, gospel, visible gospel preaching. Yes, um, it, it's interesting that you talk about that. I'm, I've just started a series in, in the church that I'll be leaving in a couple of months on a, the book of Ephesians, and uh, we'll be considering on Sunday. Uh, coming up um, by the ad nauseum procedure uh, of looking at uh, each and every instance in Paul's letters where he talks about grace and peace. 
And and if you go and you look at Paul's epistles, you'll notice, if you have Bible software, you can search online for grace and peace or grace to you. Uh, he begins and ends every letter that way. Are those the sheepdogs? Grace and peace? <laughs> or is that surely... Oh, no, that's goodness and mercy. That's goodness and surely mercy. Surely goodness, 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 goodness and mercy, and mercy shall mercy. follow you all the days of your life. Um, the... I think the point with that is it's very easy, say, in the middle of Ephesians 6, where you have all these didactic commands, or really second half of many of Paul's epistles. We have all the, a lot of the didactic commands, a lot of imperatives, a lot of commands to do things. Yes. To forget, uh, even as we study them in depth, that Paul wrote them to be read in one reading, and he met he meant for them to be read in the frame of grace. That it's that it's to the saints that grace is needed if they're going to receive what is to be said and grace that they need after they've received what they've said. That grace, as our friend Jerry Bridges puts it, uh, is not just for beginners. It's all the way through. And I guess that's what we're meaning by a Christ-centered or a gospel-centered ministry, and that this is not opposed to ordinary means, but it's to recognize that the structure of the word as it comes to us, you might even think of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Uh, most people forget that the preface to the Ten Commandments, the catechisms get this right, but the preface to the Ten Commandments is there for a reason. It's to remind people that the law is a response to grace. It's the gratitude response. It's to form our love for God, to form our gratitude. Uh, and so something like gospel-centered, you shouldn't feel like, um, is opposed to ordinary means. It's not a movement. Certainly there are movements uh, that, that, that would lay claim to that title. But what Sean and I are trying to say is that this is the warp and woof of Scripture. God's gospel-oriented in the way he approaches us in his word and so we ought to be uh, in our teaching. And so in that way, we're trying to help you distinguish a little bit between uh, things that, that ought not be opposed in our mind. Um, can I go back to something you said a little bit earlier? Or you, you want to come can. back to something? I want to emphasize the point you just made. Go ahead. Uh, you mentioned Jerry Bridges. Yeah. And we've got a men's group right now that is reading his classic book, Pursuit of Holiness. Great. And in that book, one of the things he focuses on, he asks the question, uh, who is responsible for our growth in Christ? Is it, is it me, or is it the work of the Spirit in me? Hmm. And the answer is yes. <laughs> you know, we All tend, the above. We, we want to say, and this, is, this will be the tendency of, of a Christ-centered ministry, is they're going to say it's all of Christ, right? And the tendency of a, a father-centered ministry is it's all about obedience to the Father, mm-hmm. and the two have to come together. And one of the places that the Scripture beautifully brings that together is Romans chapter six, mm-hmm. because in Romans chapter six we have the doctrine of the un- of union with Christ, and we read there. In verse 5 of chapter 6, if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. That is, our life will, will show forth the fruit of being united to Christ. He explains this. He says, knowing this, that our old self 
talking about our sin, was crucified with him. In order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now that's a bold statement that Paul is making. And most of us, if we come to that, we we read that. If we stop there, we say, I'm not free from sin. (laughs) Have you been looking at my life, Paul? Well, we go on to the very next verse. He says, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. We be- In other words, we believe that our union with him, our being transformed by him, our being regenerated by Christ, is going to have an effect on our life. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over us. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, now here's our responsibility, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider, and and this word is weighted, but consider your potential. Yeah. You know, this is yeah. who has Christ made you? You've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness. You've put been put in the kingdom of light. You have died to sin. Now live like that. Now, does that mean perfection? Absolutely not. Because if that meant perfection, we wouldn't need Christ. And that's the point of a Christ-centered ministry. Is everything we do is going to be tainted by sin. Everything we need to do, everything we're going to do is be, going to be covered by this by by grace rather. But that doesn't mean that we don't go forth in boldness, pursuing the holiness of God through the power of Christ. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I think that's a good point because it, it's very easy to pick one or the other but not keep two friends together. Yes. And Gra- these grace just- and obedience are our perfect couple. Yep. Uh, what's the, the psalm? Mer- mercy and justice kiss. Right. In Christ. Right. Yep. Yep. And we've got we've to do that. There's a few other movement-type things that we've not necessarily commented on uh, in previous podcasts. Maybe we'll take the opportunity. I'll go back to one that Sean mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, there has been because we a, try to make as many enemies as possible. Yes, it's it's uh, it's our little passion in life. But you may have heard bantied around, depending on what circles you've run in, a word called contextualization. And um, Sean touched on the topic without using the word earlier. I think I used the word. I think I did say I think you contextualizing said context. or context. Yes. You said context. So what contextualization, the basic idea of contextualization, uh, and, and there, are, there are liberal and conservative versions of this just like everything else. So just like another word we might pick up here in a little bit. Um, but the basic idea of contextualization is a recognition that although there might be in every ministry context a reliance upon the ordinary means of grace as the way that God would use um, to bring people to Christ and to grow them in Christ, the way the ordinary means gets applied varies from context to context. Let me just give you a really easy example. If you had, uh, I'll take the same two that Sean had. If you had a country church that was basically filled with multi-generation Christians, um, you would probably preach to in a different way uh, than you would if you were in an urban church with mostly single people. Uh, and a mixture, mostly single young people, and a mixture of 
young Christians, young first-generation Christians, and non-Christians. Uh, and it, as much as sometimes our Reformed brothers don't like this idea of contextualizing, it seems to me, in reading the Westminster Larger Catechism, that uh, the Westminster divines understood this concept. Um, if you look in uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism and in the neighborhood of uh, – I just lost my reference because I forgot to put my, my – uh, my cursor there. But in about question 157, I'm getting to it, it talks about the question deals with um, how is the word to be preached? Um, and here it is. It's actually question uh, 158. Uh, it's, the question is this, how is the word of God to be preached by those who are called to it, thereunto? They that are called to labor in the ministry of the word are to preach sound doctrine, diligently, in season and out of season. This is picking up, of course, Paul's direction to Timothy. Um, plainly, not in the enticing words of man's wisdom, picking up Paul in Corinthians, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, faithfully, making known the whole counsel of God, wisely. Now listen to this. What they mean by wisely, preaching the word. Applying themselves to the necessities and capacities of, of the hearers, zealously with fervent love to God and the souls of his people, sincerely aiming at his glory and their conversion, edification, and salvation. Now, it strikes me that 450 years ago, the Westminster divines understood something that's under debate today, which should not be, that the way I approach the ordinary means of grace in a different context is going to vary. Just as if I sat down to give comfort in the hospital with the word to somebody who'd been a believer for as long as they could remember or somebody who was a non-Christian. Wouldn't I do that differently? Of course I would. I would suit it to the capacity of the person I was talking to. And that has to be in the totality of our ministry. Not that we don't rely upon the word and the spirit in desperate reliance do we pray that the spirit would apply the word. But the way that we go about that is going to change. And that's all that when I use that word contextualization, that's all that I mean. You mentioned that it's being debated today. Isn't it being debated today because it's being abused today? I think so. I have not listened to this yet, but... Uh, there is a a lecture, and Sean will put a link to this on the blog. There is a lecture on the Southern Baptist Seminary website by Ken Myers, uh, who, if you don't know Ken Myers, he's the guy behind Marshall Audio from Charlottesville, Virginia. And there is uh, a lecture uh, at Southern Seminary that Ken Myers did on contextualization and the dangers of it in our age. Um, I have it on my download list. I haven't listened to it yet, but uh, I love uh, the work of Marcel Audio and Ken Myers, and I suspect that will be very good at balancing the kinds of things that we're saying, where Paul was the one, after all, who said uh, that he would become a Jew to reach Jews. Um, and that's the concept behind contextualization, is that we bend ourselves incarnationally, as Sean's already mentioned, we bend ourselves, not the message, but we bend ourselves to suit our ministry, to suit our speech, to the capacity of the people we're talking to. Here's the way that one man's put it that I found really helpful. How different would our ministry be 
if we thought 50% of our hearers would be non-Christians. Now let that sink in and think on that some, because it's given me a lot to think about. Isn't that what we hope? Is that many of our hearers, for example, in preaching, would be non-Christians? If we believe that the preached word is especially that means of God that God uses to convert and sanctify people, don't we want a lot of non-believers in our preaching? And wouldn't we want to preach in a way that they could get their arms around what we're saying, that we would fulfill that catechism answer, that it would be suited to the capacity of our hearers? Well, that goes right back to almost every preaching textbook that we've all ever read that says you have to know your audience. Absolutely. Remember that class from Westminster, oh, yeah. Preaching Audience Analysis? What was that? Audience Analysis, what is, uh, I want to say, Stott? Stott's book, Between Two Worlds, gets at that idea. Um, Preaching and Preachers gets at that idea. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, I think any of the uh, Clowney's book on preaching. Um, uh, any, any of those books on uh, Adams. Uh, Adams has a almost a syllabus on preaching, although I think it's out of print. Um, I used that for a, a speech class that I taught and he, I remember he gave me permission to reprint that. So if you can find a copy, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure he let you he let you uh, copy that off. Um, so this is all, uh, in many ways, common sense, and uh, we don't want to insult. I, I don't think we want to insult our listeners and say, you know, but we want to remind our listeners that. W- this is common sense. This is normal. There are differences. There are going to be differences in ministry. We want you to um, not close – even though we try to make enemies on the podcast, we don't want you to make enemies with other churches. Uh, we, we do believe that the gospel is so central and so powerful that it can provide unity among churches that otherwise maybe have some differences – Baptists, Presbyterians – um, non-denominational churches, there can be a great deal of unity there. Right, and what right. we'd like to see is churches from all denominations going back and saying, okay, what does God want me to do? Why have why has my church just plateaued where it is? And not look to a new fad, not look to the latest book on the shelves, but go back to the Bible and say, okay, I'm, I want to create – we had a podcast, I, I think this was last year, on, on simplicity. Yeah. That was on personal – simplicity in our personal life. Right. Let's apply simplicity to our ministry. Yeah, there's a book that uh, Sean and I both acquired this summer uh, that I'm looking at in a shelf called oh, Simple, called uh, Simple Church, and this is by uh, this is uh, two authors, Geiger and Rayner, um, and this is from Broadman and Holman, and uh, it's their uh, testimony that the churches which God is using are not these ones that are super fancy and have all these different. Uh, Ministries, all these different programs. Uh, it's as a friend of mine just told me a couple of weeks ago what his basic philosophy of ministry is. Is we look at it as large group, small group, one on one. That's it. Apply the word there, and try and evaluate where are people in their discipleship are they growing closer to Christ or they going apart from Christ. What's what? Just the Kiss principle applied to church. 
Keep it centered on the Word in Christ. Well, this goes back to that Ephesians passage that I read earlier. What's the goal is to see the body built up to maturity. Right. Absolutely. It's The goal isn't numbers, although if we're preaching the gospel, we may see, we may see numbers. We may well. Um, some of that's going to depend on, and I hate to blame it on this, some of that's just going to depend on demographics. Some may well. Uh, some of that's going to depend on whether or not your church is evangelizing. Are the people in your church going out and talking to non-believers, building relationships with non-believers? That's going to have an effect on the numbers in your church. Absolutely. Um, What we don't want to see is you doing things that create numbers, but not spiritual growth. A very wise man in my church, um, my current church, uh, came to me once and he said, uh, he said, it's not hard to gather a crowd. And that was very interesting. Um, I hadn't thought of that before. But he's right. It really isn't hard to gather a crowd. What's what's impossible is for us to bring people uh, by ourselves to Christ and see them discipled in him. To see them pick up their cross and to refuse the world and to walk in the ways of God. That's what's hard. Impossible for us to do. Easy for God to do. The question is, as we talk about ordinary means ministry, is will we use the means that God has ordained to bring that about, or will we uh, say, uh, not by your might, not by your spirit, but by our power, Lord? <laughs> is, is that what we'll do? Because that's what we're saying, is that a ministry that's not focused on the ordinary means is basically saying, we can get this done. Thanks, Lord. Yeah, and what we want is to see people grow to a maturity. And again, I'm, I'm going back to Ephesians 4 here. This is a process. This is going to take a long time. And the goal is that we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And when I read that, what I read is, I have to commit myself to one church to pour my heart and my life into these people to shepherd them for the long haul. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, common wisdom says it takes five years for a, of a pastor being in a pastorate until the people will even open up to you. It takes 10 years before they really trust you. It takes 15 years until you're really starting to see them treating you as a part of their life and as, as a part of their family. And and 20 years and beyond when you're, you're marrying their kids and your ministry has become a multi-generational ministry. It takes a lot of time, a lot of hard work, and there, there's something to be said for the, for the John MacArthur's. Yeah, you're for sure. You're the guys who have stuck with the church for the long haul. Now, that being said... And uh, this is not to critique you, Matt, but no, no. you're about to step into a new pastorate. Right, you've, right. You've been in a pastorate for a uh, for about five years now? Five and a half years. Five yeah. and a half years. And now you're stepping into a new pastorate. It's different. Your church, Completely different, Your ministry yeah. now has been a, a church plant, essentially. Right. Essentially. You're stepping into an established church. Yep. Why? Um, I think that, that, that I've come to recognize that uh, I think that as you look at uh, in the New Testament, uh, 
when you look at uh, certain of the men that are there, some of them were suited for planting churches. Paul, uh, in particular, it seems that the Lord used to plant new churches. Uh, Timothy, on the other hand, that's not the way that God used him. Uh, God used Timothy in a different way than he used Paul. And I think that I recognize in terms of the giftedness that's there um, that I don't have those Paul kind of gifts uh, that are centered more, uh, what I would put it as, centered more in evangelism. and I think that that's typically what's needed in uh, a church planner type person is gifts that are more centered in evangelism. Not just a faithfulness in evangelism, but a giftedness in evangelism. Yes, because we're all called to evangelize. We're all called to evangelize, absolutely. Uh, particularly ministers. Yeah. Particularly ministers. Uh, but at least in a church planting context, and this is what I've explained to, to the congregation I'm leaving, is that I think that they would be better served by a man who's gifted in evangelism. I'm going into a church that that almost couldn't be more different than the one that I'm leaving. Uh, I'm leaving a church that's uh, about nine years old, and I'm going into a church that uh, is a continuation of a church that's uh, 60 years old. Uh, and so it's an it's an older church. It's a uh, um, it's been in the facility. It's been in the, our denomination for uh, 30 years. More than 30 years. Um, they uh, have a large facility that used to be full, and now the congregation's diminished. And part of the reason is some of what we've already talked about. Uh, not that the focus hasn't been on the word. The last pastor was quite good at teaching the people. Uh, but the congregation lost the sense over time of ministering in their own community of building relationships with people in that community, ministering in that place to those people so that the church uh, would have people from the community in which it sits who come there. And so uh, of the church that I'm going to, uh, there's a good contingent of older folks that are from that community, but they've been in that community for 50 or 60 years, um, and there the Lord's taking them home, and, and they're getting promoted to a new place. Many of the newer people that are in the community where the church is uh, are, uh, are uh, professionals. They're uh, multi-ethnic, which is different than what the texture of the church has been in the past. Now, everyone recognizes, and this is, this is well known, that that's going to be, if the church is going to reflect uh, the neighborhood, that's where it's going to go. But that's a different sort of thing than where the church has been. So when you look at a situation like that, um, our temptation is to say, oh, that's a really expert kind of ministry. A church that's on the decline, a church that is that should be looking to become multi-ethnic. That's a hard thing to do. You may need some special training for that kind of thing. Whereas when we put the ordinary means hat on, we say, no. A, a church that has more than one ethnicity? Boy, that sounds just like maybe um, Ephesians 4. That just sounds biblical. A church that's multi-generational, you know, has older folks, has middle-aged folks, has younger folks in it. Huh, that just sounds covenantal to me. Uh, A church that actually ministers in its community. Hmm. Now, some people might put, and I'll put this in quotes, and the Westminster faculty, Westminster California faculty, uh, are going to... um, are going to have a conference on this in January that I'm going to get the audio from, and maybe we'll do a podcast on it later. But um, one of the words that's used for this uh, is the word missional, 
And some people are scared of that word. Some people are good with it. Uh, it just depends on um, it depends on how people use it. Uh, and the way I'm going to define it may not be that any any way else than anybody else would. But when I use the word missional, uh, what I mean is that a church views itself as a collection of families which are missionaries in the community in which they live and in which their church resides. That we view ourselves uh, not just as members of the body of the Christ, certainly that, but we view ourselves as outposts of the gospel family by family. And so that we view this community where the church is and where my family resides as uh, the missionary field that I labor in. And that's what I mean when I say the word missional. Uh, I'm not sure that's the way the Westminster faculty, Westminster West faculty is going to use it when they have their conference. But that's what I mean. And that's, of course, a very biblical thing. When the church was scattered from Jerusalem, we've looked at this before, Acts chapter 8. What did they do? When they were scattered, they did that small p preaching, that proclaiming of the gospel. All of them. And so when we when I look at this new church that I'm going into, we could, on the, with the modern sort of mindset, we could look at it and say, oh, that's a hard thing. You're really going to need some training in, in this and that and in, in how to bring this about. And there could be wisdom that you can gather from a lot of places. But the focus, the weight is, no. This church needs to move from a past where it was it had a lot of biblical pieces to it. Maybe some of those have gotten lost along the way. And we're going to become refocused again. Uh, on the fullness uh, of the biblical picture of ministry, which is that we're centered on Christ, that we are centered in the ordinary means, and we're centered in being engaged with this community as missionaries. Very simple. Nothing elaborate about it. No, not at all. Matt, thank you for sharing that. Um, I mean, that's very personal to you. You're very much in transition right now, and and, uh, I want to invite the listeners uh, obviously they may have questions for us related to any of the things that we talked about today maybe about uh, maybe they are in transition they may well be yeah. or maybe they're looking at their own church and saying you know what we need to be revitalized mm-hmm. um, how, how do we do that uh, feel free to leave your personal um, questions uh, on the uh, on the blog and uh, maybe what we could do is do a future episode just addressing that. How do you, how do you do ordinary means revitalization? Again, mm-hmm. got some buzzwords there, but I think we've made it clear we're not a movement. Uh, we're just calling you back uh, to the Word of God. So I want to thank you for listening. Uh, again, um, if this podcast is helpful to you, please uh, let your friends know about it and uh, leave comments. And let us know what we can talk about, how we can benefit you. Uh, hey, you want to come on the podcast? We're going to be going technologically uh, onto Skype, if you're familiar with that. So we could even include some other people on the podcast in the future in ways we haven't in the past. Uh, so I thank you for listening, and uh, may the Lord richly bless you as you pursue Him through His ordinary means. Mm-hmm.